0: Get ready for the Small Church Shepherds podcast. Small Church Shepherds exist to encourage, enrich, and equip small church pastors and churches. You can find our blog and more information about us at SmallChurchShepherds.com. Welcome to Small Church Shepherds, podcast of SmallChurchShepherds.com. I'm Jonathan Greer, pastor of Franklin Creek Baptist Church. And I'm Dennis uh, uh, Ellenberg of Antioch Baptist Church. All right, today we have with us Michael Wilbanks. He's pastor of Thaxton Baptist Church in Thaxton, Mississippi. That's in the uh, just outside of Oxford, and he is coming on today to talk on the topic of King James Onlyism and and how uh, it has. Sh- cause challenges in the ministry if you serve as a small church shepherd which this podcast is aimed to uh we are sure that you have encountered king james onlyest whether in other pastors in your community or maybe members or visitors who come to your church so michael welcome to the podcast and why don't you introduce yourself a little bit and
1: tell a little bit about your background okay well um i'm a pastor i uh graduated from new orleans baptist theological seminary with an ndb i'm currently a uh doctoral student trying to finish up a degree. And that uh last degree has been the best seven years of my life, feels like. (laughs) Um but yeah, so that's who I am. Uh love people, love the church, love God's word and uh have enjoyed pastoring people. All right. Well tell us a little bit about where you serve now. So I am uh pastor at Thaxton Baptist. Uh it's Thaxton is a very rural community. Uh, located about 20 miles outside of Oxford. Um, we, uh, I think that the town of Thaxton maybe has uh, 400 people in it or less. Um, and we're maybe seven miles from Pontotoc, Mississippi. Um, it's a great church, man. I love it here. Uh, really good people. They've been great to us. Uh, learned a lot about pastoring here. And um <laughs> So been here five years now. And whenever you came there, um,
0: you actually followed behind a King James-only pastor. Um, Not anything negative about him. He's a great man of God, has a great reputation. But you did come into a church with a King James-only pastor for years, and now you preach out of the ESV. Um, So
1: what was that like? Well, I I knew it was going to be a challenge, uh, first of all, when just sitting down with the committee uh, as they were searching for a pastor. And um, I made sure that all of my sample sermons and things like that, that all of that was done with the ESV. So everybody would know up front that, uh, that I use a modern translation. And so I knew nothing about Thaxter Baptist Church uh, other than um, they were interested in talking. And so I, I showed up that day to talk to the committee and, um, One of them brought up the issue and they said, what translation do you preach out of? And I said, well, the ESV. And uh, they all sort of stopped. And it was a it was a committee of like, I don't know how many people, maybe like 12. I mean, it was a large committee wow. and a lot of deacons and things like that in it. And uh, everybody just stopped when I said that. And they all kind of looked around and they knew that already <laughs> because they'd heard the sermons. But, um, they all sort of stopped and looked around and I, and after two or three moments of silence, I finally said, is that going to be an issue? <laughs> and, uh, the chairman of the committee, uh, sort of looked around at everybody and said, well, not for me. And, uh, one or two more said, yeah, not for me either. And then one said, well, it's going to be an issue for some. Right. Yeah. And, um, uh, So that's when I started inquiring a little bit about the church's history, and I found out they had a pastor who is uh, certainly a great man, and and was a good leader, and led the church well, and Mm -hmm. and all those things before me, but he was here for 14 years, and he is known as a King James onlyist, he's not as militant as some are in that movement, and so um, it maybe it wasn't quite as challenging as it could have been here, but it was still he attracted some of the people that have been involved in the militant arm of that movement before. And so they were here among the con- congregants. And so that made it made it very difficult.
0: Well, I was just going to I was saying that. For those that are listening, we might have some people who are listening who use the King James version. Maybe they're King James onlyists. Maybe they're not. Maybe they just prefer it. But what are some problems that you find with being a King James onlyist um, that you felt the need to have to confront in your ministry?
1: So I, I think you know it's it's hard to talk about what exactly King King James onlyism is because there's so many different facets. Of it, right. mm-hmm. And you you have one wing of it that's a very militant, uh, hyper fundamentalist group, and then you have another, maybe on the other extreme, people who just simply like the King James and have always used it, and just sort of been uh, viewed the other translations as questionable because they weren't used to how it read or whatever. Um, and so that's that's one of the challenges in dealing with this topic. So. I think a lot of times people who are King James only uh can can bring a lot of dissension within the body because mm-hmm. there comes with it a lot of um sometimes a lot of spiritual elitism um and this this idea that that you know well if if you can't understand the King James, then probably you're not saved because the Holy Spirit. Uh, reveals the meaning of God's word to us. And I don't have any trouble understanding the King James. And so if you don't, there's obviously something, if you do have trouble, there's obviously something wrong with you. And so with somebody like myself who has dyslexia or someone who uh, has some other type of reading disability or maybe a new Christian in the faith or whatever, a young person who does have difficulty, um, it, it puts them in a position to basically fail spiritually. They can't read God's word and study it and understand it for themselves. And so uh, that's one of the major issues to me. And then from that are all these sort of veins that run off of it. And so um, there there are theological problems that are related to King James only So, for example, um, for example, how do you, if you believe that the King James Version is the only inspired uh, translation of God's word, then how do you do missions in a country that does not speak English mm-hmm. um, okay. or Greek or Hebrew, right? So right. Uh, th- there's a lot of things like that, just practical ministry things that become very difficult as well
0: yeah and and they' they can only usually they can only hold to those positions because they're inconsistent in how they hold them. Um, right That's right. yeah. Well, also I think one of the main problems that I see with
2: it and and, and correct me if you think I'm wrong, Michael, is that King James onlyism in itself can can become a type of idolatry where you idolize that particular text. it's it's more important. Than anything else is that you hold up that text, and i 'm not saying everyone that's in that position is like that, but that's one of the dangers is that it does become almost a type of idolatry where that text is the idol
1: that that's true too, and you know sort of going with that same line of thought, not just is it a um, a form of or can be a form of idolatry, but it can also be a a springboard for slander uh, for faithful brothers and sisters. So, uh, you know, a man who faithfully preaches God's word that uses a modern translation is now labeled any word you can come up with from liberal to heretic or whatever else. Uh, because just, just simply because not because of the doctrine they hold, but because of the translation they hold. (laughs)
2: Yeah. And and then you get into the issue with the King James only ism, which, 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 uh, revision of the King James only is the the inspired text because there's been a four or five revisions of it over the years and and I think that creates problems too wouldn't you think
1: yeah you know a funny story when uh, when we first talked to the committee here uh, my wife was looking for a job and we had not um, we had officially accepted the position but we were not officially here yet. And so my wife was, I was driving my wife around Pontotoc County and we were looking for a job and we parked next to a truck that on the bumper sticker it said, if it, if it ain't the king, but if it ain't the 1611, it ain't God's word," (laughs) Which was uh, amazing to me because I very seriously doubt that that brother uses the 1611
0: King James. Right. I actually know whose bumper that sticker that is probably. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, I, and he does use the 1611, if it's the same guy I know. Uh, uh, well, oh, wow. just, here's a funny story, Michael, just to piggyback on
2: that one. I actually had a kid who was um, – his father was a fundamentalist um, evangelist who was planting churches over in um, – over in the Philippines, and he came back to uh, one of the churches I was pastoring, and after one service, he came up to me and and said that he said, you know, you're not preaching out of God's Word, you're not preaching out of the King James, and I said, look, I said, I'll, I'll make a challenge with you. If you can read one page out of the original 1611 um, King James Version, I will preach out of the King James Version, so I found one online, printed it up, gave it to the young brother, and he said, what is this? And I said, that's the 1611 King King James Version, and after that, there was never another conversation because he couldn't read it. Yeah, right. And so um, let me ask you this question. What specific challenges have you faced in ministry due to the King James-only controversy?
1: Well, this is the second church that I've gone into that uh, you could consider King James-only. Um and the first one it it was my first pastorate and I'm sitting there that first Sunday and I'm I'm trying to get, you know, prayed up and ready to go and all that stuff before my very first sermon uh to this congregation and I had a well meaning brother walk in. He knocked on my door and walked in and he said, Uh, what translation of the Bible do you use? And I mean, I've already they've heard five sermons of mine and I've already preached for the church like three times. And so it's pretty obvious what translation I use. And uh, I told him and he said, well, we're a King James congregation. And uh, you might want to give a little bit of an explanation as to why you're using the translation that you use, just to sort of keep down trouble. Now, we had a question and answer session uh, during the the calling process or whatever you want to call it, and anybody in the world could have asked me anything they wanted to, but they waited till my first Sunday, you know, to address it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. So, not to
0: interrupt, not to interrupt your your flow on a Sunday morning. Yeah,
1: right, exactly. Yeah, and so I just remember sitting there thinking, like, man, what in the world have I gotten into? Because I I had just gotten off the field with the North American Mission Board. And I was dealing with people who could barely read at all and right. moving moving into a context uh, where people were a little more educated but were were clinging to a um, a translation that many of them could not even understand and they didn't know why they were clinging to it to begin with um, right so that was very challenging uh, to shepherd them through that and I think too the other thing that that really has, that was really difficult is to see people who were unwilling to listen to reason and unwilling to learn about the history of the Bible, for example, or how translation works, um, the, the manuscript tradition. They're just totally unwilling. They were willing to cling to a belief that they were unwilling to verify or unwilling to, to think through. And uh, right. so that was very disheartening to deal yeah. with that. So what are some things that you did
0: just on a practical level, both maybe at your former church and at Thaxton? What are just some very practical things that our listeners could potentially implement in their own ministries to help you overcome some of these challenges?
1: So one of the, one of the things that I think is most helpful is that I'm an expository preacher, Right. And so, as an expositor, I hold a high view of God's Word. Mm-hmm. And one of the the allegations made toward people who are not King James only uh, from that side is that um, well, they don't honor God's Word. They don't. Um, right. They don't really believe God said what He said. Mm-hmm. And that's the very reason that I don't go through picking out verses uh because I believe God said what He said, and He said it in the order in which He said it. You know, um, yeah, right. so I I think practically that's one step that has helped people come around. But the other thing that I do, and I do this about every year and a half or so, is I teach through the history of the Bible, um, and primarily focus focusing on the English uh, side of things, starting with Weakly and. And uh, moving forward on up to Tyndale and to Coverdale and, and so forth. Right. Um, and that opens people's eyes to see like you know most people think that the King James was the first English translation. yep and it, it's not and that, that explains some of the argumentation that they use. So for example, if they' uh, if I'm preaching out of the ESV and there's a, a text that is has a, uh, an alternate reading, Right, and uh, it reads differently than their King James does, or it, it you know there are fewer words in the ESV than there are in the King James on this particular verse. They'll come and ask me, "Why did they take that out? Mm-hmm. Why did they take it All out?" Right. And which is totally built like on the, the story
2: screen. of the, right, like the story of the the um, uh, uh, the woman caught in the act of adultery you know, and sure. where is that? yeah? You're, you're asked that question.
1: Right. And so, and, and that's one of the larger textual variants, uh, you know, in the New Testament, but but even just a, a small one. So, for example, a text may say in the King James, the Lord Jesus Christ, and uh, in the, the ESV, it may just simply say Jesus Christ. And they'll say, why did they take out the Lord? And, you know, so it it helps for them to understand that there's been a process of translation that has started with guys like Wycliffe in, in the 1300s moving forward to even today. Um, the, the thing is to get people to understand that the King James itself is not the standard, right? And so we don't, yeah. we don't say, why did they take that out? We, we might ask the question, why does it read differently? But right. well, we don't say why did they take that out. It, the question may be if you go back and look at the manuscript evidence, the question may be why did someone add that to it, right? And yeah, and so getting them to understand the historical process behind it has helped a lot.
0: When someone comes to you with that kind of question, do you take that opportunity as like a teaching moment and, and tell them? Like, you know, maybe a better question to, to understand this is why does it read differently? I mean, do you say that kind of stuff to people when they pull you aside and ask those kind of questions?
1: Absolutely. And so a lot of times, so for example, if I get to a, a, a textual variant that um, that is a large one, for example, uh, the, the lady caught in adultery, um, a lot of times I will... Like, for example, when I when I preached through the Gospels and I, I taught that or came to that text where it would be in the King James, I um, took a Sunday night and I just walked through like, why is, um, you know, why why does this not read the same way in the ESV? Why did, why did, you know, things like that. And so I just walked through the history of that text and the manuscript tradition and how it's actually uh, skipped Gospels and moved places within the different Gospels and things like that. And so that's Mm -hmm. helped them understand it. But yeah, so to your question, if they come up to me and they ask why did they take that out, I do use that as an opportunity to teach. Um, And some of it's going to depend on the context. I mean, if if I'm standing in the church lobby and there's 20 people around, I don't want people hearing half explanations, you know. And So sometimes it's let me pull you aside and let's talk this right. thing out. But, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I do try to capitalize on those opportunities.
2: So, um, Michael, what are the mountains and what are the molehills when it comes to King james Onlyism? What are the things that we, we need to, to – what are the hills we need to die on and what are the hills that maybe we could sort of let go, I guess is what I'm saying.
1: Well, you know, to me, most of the mountains uh, have to do with uh, – with theological positions associated to King James Onlyism, So associated with it. So for example, um, there tends to be someone who comes to me that is very aggressively King James only. Uh, often they cannot articulate the gospel uh, very well. Right. And, yeah. and I, I want to be as kind as I can be, but that's usually the case. It's like, they become so fixated on that one issue they forgot what the gospel is yep. right. and um well and,
0: and we and, you know, uh, we have, we both are very familiar with people who will call something a sermon on a Sunday morning but then really it's it's just them standing up defending the king james
1: right, right. yeah exactly right and you know we're told to preach the word uh, not to give a defense for particular translations, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And so, so that, that's right. So the other thing is uh, beyond the, the gospel issue itself is also um, King James-onlyism and hyper-fundamentalism in particular fails to distinguish uh, between first-order doctrine, second-order doctrine, third-order doctrine. They totally ignore theological triage at all. And yeah, right. everything in that system becomes a a, a, a first order issue. And so right. they're willing to fight and wage war with other brothers or other churches over uh, over any issue that you disagree with them about. And that's just not how we're supposed to interact as, as brothers and sisters. Right and
2: what do you think, Michael, do you think it has any effect on um apologetics and the ability of these people to to have meaningful conversations with with people more than just evangelism but you know really defending the faith? What effect do you think King James onlyism has with that?
1: Well, if you're talking about on a practical street level um you know i'm I'm not as certain uh, as I am as far as with at a scholarly level, so right. King James only uh, are often very ignorant about uh, how God preserved his word. So they right. a lot of times they'll say God preserved his word. But then the next statement is in the King James Bible. And it's right. like, well, what happened to the 1600 years before the King James Bible existed? Were there exactly. Christians then? Did God's word exist? You know? Mm-hmm. And so, being totally ignorant to those issues to a person like uh, Bart Ehrman or some of these guys, they yeah. they would absolutely destroy someone uh, right. apologetically uh, holding to those beliefs. And so, it, I, I think that uh, that yeah that you know they really put themselves at a disadvantage to defend the faith if they're holding to that sort of uh, line of thinking. Well, I another kind of kind
0: of going on a different track here. You said you've been at church what five or seven years now? Five. You've been there five years, um, and I know because we're. In- Friends in person, but on Facebook too. That you know, every every once in a while, you have you do a uh, we'll do a Facebook post about this issue um, because you've seen something in the community or you've seen some people uh, from the community posting things about it, and you try to as generalized as possible deal with it for this. In five years, have you seen that the struggles in the ministry have shifted from your membership to the community when dealing with this, or am I completely off? No, I I
1: think you're right. I, I think now five years later. Uh, King James Onlyism is a non-issue in our congregation. Yeah. Um, it it never comes up. I have not had it come up in three uh, three years or so. Um, no longer an issue. So largely that has to do with either a people uh, who have decided to actually look into the issue and come to an understanding of the issues uh, surrounding it, but also b some of the people just decided to leave, just to be honest right. with you, went somewhere else. But now it's a non-issue here, and certainly it is an issue within the community. And to give you a little background, so the county that I live in, um, I, like, I could walk outside and throw a rock and hit a church right. um, in any direction. And uh, many of those that I would hit— are King James only as on, only. They're uh, independent Fundamental Baptist and uh, that's just sort of what they've been brought up in. And so people will leave out, and they'll hear their pastor give a what what they call a sermon uh, defending the King James. And then any any time they see me as a pastor, so uh, so yes, it is a community issue, largely because pastors will be hammering this issue and then their congregants will go out just not informed at all and be more interested in heat than they are like and they'll go out and just rail against anyone who posts a verse from a different translation or something like that or they'll share memes that will have like the NIV versus the King James reading on one verse which memes
0: is really the superior form of apologetic now in 2019 Yeah. yeah exactly it's the only way we know how to do apologetics now.
2: I mean, come yeah. on, I mean, who has time to actually study and?
0: If you can't, or, yeah. If you can't articulate an argument, find a meme, and that does just as good. Uh, yeah. Well, I think that gives hope. The reason I wanted to point that in is I think it'll give hope to someone who is in a ministry position and they feel like this King James only thing is something they're never going to get through. They're never going to get over it. Um, and I think you're an example to say that you know what, with patience and love and endurance, you, it's something. you can work through with your congregation there can be growth you might experience loss um, in some just as you have Um, but maybe they're sitting there and they're thinking well that's great for him he understands the manuscript variants and he has uh, a general idea or a good understanding of the history of the English Bible but what about you know old Joe pasturing that has never taken a class on any of this or read a book on it. What are some resources um, that you would recommend that they could utilize to help them understand the situation better?
1: Well, um, first of all, go to seminary. <laughs> but uh, if that's out of the picture at this moment, I would say um, definitely two books that I would recommend. One would be um It's a Don Carson book or D.A. Carson book um, called The King James Version Debate. And it's a little bit dated, but uh, I think he wrote that in the late 70s. But it's still a a very good resource to help you understand some of the issues. And then another one is The King James Only Controversy, written by James White. Uh, And he really helps you understand um, textual criticism. Uh, as a conservative scholar and helps you walk through a lot of the issues that you'll deal with. And one of the helpful things about that work is he actually, a lot of the common verses that are used uh, against modern translations and where people say, well, they took this out or whatever, he actually has in the back of the book uh, a reference guide where you can actually look up the citation and flip to a page in the chapter where he outlines basically the uh, the manuscript tradition of that text, and so right. that's very helpful if someone has a specific uh, issue or question about a, a verse or something like that. Right, and and also I, I think
2: um, there's always the dividing line, which is uh, James White's uh, podcast. He does a lot of that, discussing the textual evidence and 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 discussing mm-hmm. those things and um another one i want to throw in jonathan is um and it's shorter um it's it's sort of built into a sermon by Vodi Balkum called the ever-loving truth i would mm-hmm. suggest people sit down and listen to that because Vodi Balkum does an amazing job talking about how we have confidence in the text we have because of how it's been passed down to us mm-hmm. and i think that's very positive to sit down there and look at some of that stuff um, if you
0: want I would recommend just to throw in another one is pretty much anything by F.F. F. Bruce. Um, yep. If you if you go on Amazon, they're cheap. They're old books, but they're very cheap. Um, you could buy two or three bo- of his books about manuscripts. Um, he has the history of the Bible in English from the earliest versions. Um, that's $8 on Amazon right now. He has the books and parchments, um, some chapters on the transmission of the Bible, two thirty nine. dollars um, The New Testament documents, are they reliable? F.F. F. Bruce that's a that's once a little more that's 19 bucks but um hey that is a wealth of resources if you really wanted to get heavy into the issue
1: yeah well, i agree that it really is good stuff and you know i i would probably say start with the king james only controversy yeah. and that will give you a good overview and it's not dry at all and it, it gives you yeah. sort of a, a a very big picture and then as you want to get deeper uh, you know, check out some of Bruce's stuff. Right. Yeah. I would just uh, mention a couple of words that Jonathan has already said, and that is patience and love. You know, as, as shepherds, we have to love our people where they are. We don't have to love where they are, but we have yeah. to love them where they are. And right. so you can you can be just as uh, damaging to your congregation if you take an elitist attitude, right. it's like, well, I, I've studied Greek and I've studied Hebrew and I know the manuscript tradition. And I understand right. how the lines of text work. Uh, therefore, uh, you know, you're just ignorant, you know, and and that's not how how we are to love God's people. Yeah. And so well, the
2: worst way to worst way to fight the fire, like you said earlier, they're more fire than light. The worst way to fight that fire is by bringing your own fire. And I think um, we have to be cautious in that area
1: yeah exactly and so um love your people shepherd them through it answer their questions if you don't know say you don't know and go find out yeah um, right so and there's no shame in that and so that that's what i would say if, if someone's struggling with this issue i don't know if y'all saw a couple of weeks ago somebody posted a, a question on one of the baptist boards about this very issue and that's really what i encourage them to do and I, I sort of gave us practical things of what I've done, but, the, but that's really the main thing. Throw out all the books and everything else. Love your people and walk with them through this stuff. Yep. That's really
0: a good way, place to end it there, love and patience, love and shepherd your flock that is among you. Um, thank you, Michael, for coming and talking to us about this issue. Um, I know it's been um, enlightening to me, and hopefully it's encouraging to our listeners. And Dennis, why don't you take us out? Okay, um, we want to thank you for joining us again today for Small Church Shepherds uh,
2: podcast. Um, as always, we want to invite you to go to smallchurchshepherds.com where you can find our blogs. We have a great um great variety of articles on different issues for Small Church Shepherds. You can also email us at smallchurchshepherds at gmail.com with your questions, your comments, um, any suggestions suggestions for upcoming podcasts. We always look forward to getting those emails and finding out what you're thinking. also want to invite you to go to uh, Twitter where you can go to Shepherds Small and um, check out our Twitter feed. And then, of course, you can go to Facebook at Small Church Shepherds. Look us up at Small Church Shepherds and find information there. Um, also, we um, would also ask you to pray about uh, becoming a sponsor of this uh, podcast and of this page there's some things we're hoping to do in the future if you would like to um, support us uh, financially um, you can s- shoot us an email we're working on getting um, some some payment options available for people and we'll get that out to you as soon as we can but we do always look forward um, to, um, to, to receiving that help because there's some ministry options that we have coming up that we hope to, to give to you and so just let us know. Um, small church shepherds of course exist to encourage equipped and enrich small church pastors. and so I' come, uh, come back next week as we once again um, seek to do that. Thank you and have a great day.